Amen. Thanks for that, Jeff. Good morning, one and all. Welcome here today. Um, it's good to have you in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Yeah, and I'd like to welcome everyone on Podbean across the world, because that's where we can reach across the world. And uh, it's a fabulous tool to be able to do that. Praise God. Yes, that's right. Go into all the world. Praise God. Nobody needs to be disadvantaged, do they? There's no front seats or back seat row when God is in the house. Amen. Every seat's a good seat. And in uh, Revelation 19.10 it says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. Amen. So as you're listening this morning, I want you to grab a hold of God's word this morning because God's word is alive and it's powerful and it can bring change, it brings life to people and you can just take a hold of a prophetic word. This whole book is a prophetic book. The words of Jesus Christ are written in there, the words of life that pertain to godliness are written in there and all you need to do is reach out because God's book is a book of progressive revelation And um, if we grab a hold of God's word and we believe it, it has the ability to reproduce of itself. So if there's some miracle in this book that you say, I wish that was me, well, take a hold of it. If you hear of it, when you read it, and God can perform that miracle for you. Amen? Amen. So um, don't be shy. Wayne was uh, critically ill at one stage of his life. Praise God, he's whole and healthy and walking around. And uh, Pastor Tom took the liberty to uh, record Wayne's um, testimony um, because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That's what the Bible says. And so he recorded Wayne's testimony and uh, he had the chronic form of Gillian Barr which left him in a wheelchair and doctors already had him written off saying that he would um, no longer work and um, just make the most of it while you can. So in the doctor's eyes he was finished had it no more but praise God he's bigger than any um, thing that a doctor might say any anything that might be spoken over your life God is far bigger and um, Pastor Tom handed this tape on to another person in our community um, whom I won't divulge their um, identity but um, he just stashed that CD away like most of us do (laughs) put it on the shelf and I yeah we'll get around to listening to that Um, But if anyone knows Pastor Tom, he's persistent. And he always says, have you listened to that um, CD yet, matey? But anyway, three weeks or so down the track, um, this guy had a chronic back illness and uh, he was on his way to Townsville to see the specialist. And so as he walked out the door, he grabbed this CD and thought, I might just chuck that on on my way down to Townsville and have a listen. Well, you know, he put that CD on and that man listened to Wayne's testimony. And as I said... The testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. It has the ability to reproduce. Amen. It never dies. It's always alive. It's always effective and it's always working. And hallelujah, when that man got to Townsville, he no longer had a back issue. Amen. So he obviously believed the testimony that was being given. He took a hold of it. He received it, applied it to his life, and his back was healed. So um, that's one... um, real life example I can give of of God reproducing miracles. But this morning I want to entitle my message, The Sword Will Guard You. The Sword of the Spirit, the Word of God will guard your hearts and minds, the Bible says. Um, And, you know, you're sitting here and how you're feeling today? How you're feeling today? 
That was a delayed reaction. <laughs> Don't you all know that the greatest miracle anyone can witness is salvation, amen? amen? And I know for a fact that most of you in here have witnessed that great salvation, amen? amen. And like we just seem to take it for granted when it just goes over our heads and out the windows. But, um, you know, we forget that God has given us so much through the work of the cross. And we forget who we are in Christ once we accept him and come to know him. The blood of Jesus, okay? The blood of Jesus. You know, and I just, I've just got written down here a small list because I couldn't go through and write everything. Um, but did you know that you're the head and not the tail? Did you know that you're more than a conqueror? Nothing can overcome you. You're accepted in the beloved. You're complete in him. You're called of God. You're not a blob sitting on a log. You're called of God. You have a purpose. You're healed by the stripes of Jesus. You're the apple of your father's eye. So it doesn't matter what your earthly parents were like. You're the apple of your father's eye, your heavenly father. He loves you. Um, You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're victorious. Amen? You're victorious. You're an overcomer. You're the righteousness of God. You're set free. Are we getting excited? You're redeemed. You're justified. You're complete, made whole. This is what Christ has given to us. And we just so forget that the work of the cross has given us so much more. Everything, it says, pertaining to life and godliness is ours through the work of the cross. You know, the list goes on and on and on. And, you know, I don't need to tell you, but somehow this morning I felt it pressing. We need to be reminded, do you remember what the work of the cross is all about? Do you remember when Jesus died, what he actually did for you? Do you remember that the work of the cross is perfect? It is complete. It is lacking nothing. There is not one thing that Christ died for that he has not redeemed us from. There is not one stone left unturned. It was perfect, complete, lacking nothing. And do you know when Jesus hung on the cross and he looked up, And he took his eyes to heaven and he cried out, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And then he gave up his spirit and he said, it is finished. It is finished. It was final. It was complete. There was nothing more to do. We were completely made whole. We were completely set free. There is nothing more that Jesus can do for us because he's done it all. But somehow we forget it, don't we? We forget that we can walk in such freedom, such liberty, such power, such authority because he's given us all power and authority in his name, in the name of Jesus. So we can walk in that authority. We can walk in that power. There's no need for us to feel helpless and hopeless in any situation. Because Jesus is near to us. He is near to us. So Jesus was a man of few words, but that day when he said, it is finished, he meant what he said and he said what he meant. Amen? 
nothing more. You don't have to add your own. There's no reading between the lines. There's no grey areas. It is what it is. Amen. Amen. And you know that revival spirit, it's moving because it was here this morning. Amen. Amen. There was a new freshness in the air. Did you just pick it up? There was a shift in the realm of the spirit that darkness is being pushed back. God is moving. He is moving. He is the miracle worker. Even though we don't see it, even though we don't feel it, he is working. Amen. And that was apparent here this morning. He is working. So if you missed that, you better get hold of the Podbean thing again. Unfortunately, the music's not on there. But have a listen. I did catch most of Jeff's prayer at the beginning. Um, Sometimes I get a bit slow off the mark. I think, oh, I should be recording this. Um, but anyway, we all got the gist of it, hey? We, you, know, and it, you know, this morning we were in our prayer meeting before church. There was a few times we were praying about reigniting the embers of our hearts and, and stirring up the fire in our hearts. And um, so it all just tied in. So God's original plan was that if we believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. It's that simple. It is that simple. There's no lurks and perks. There's no hitch to it. Like, you know, it's not too good to be true. That is true. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Amen. Amen. I want to go to Colossians here in uh, Colossians 1 verse 13 and it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. We were lost. Have you ever walked around on a really dark night without a torch, down a hallway, bumbling around, fumbling, trying to feel for something that's familiar? You know, that's, that was us. We were walking around in darkness. But the Bible says that he has um, delivered us, and that idea is delivering us, rescuing us from the tyranny of darkness, rescuing us from the schemes of the enemy, rescuing us from danger and death and sickness. And it said, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his life. And that means that we have been transported or deported into another realm. We've been put into the realm of light, into his realm. We no longer belong to the realm of darkness, but to the realm of light. What a victory. What a victory. You know, I often think that if if the devil even had an inkling of what was going to happen when he thought he was crucifying and getting rid of Jesus Christ that day, he would never have sent him to the cross. He would never have sent... he, He had absolutely no idea of what the result was going to be. He thought the death of the one would be death of many, but the death of one was the resurrection and salvation of millions, amen? And it was the end of the, of the reigning of Satan because now all power and authority belongs to us. Have you ever had somebody repeat something that you've said but they've left a couple of key words out and it's changed the whole meaning of what you actually said. Well, John 1.1 is a verse that I can say that I I have personally encountered and and in my King James Version it says, in the beginning was a word and the word was with God and the word was God. I did a bit of study with somebody one day and they pulled out their Bible and it looked the same as mine 
It even felt the same as mine. It was heavy and weighty. And the words looked the same. But when they read that verse, in my spirit there was a check because their version said, in the beginning was a word and the word was with God and the word was a God. One little word. One little word, A, and how it could change the meaning of that verse. Amen? Because there is only one true and living God. Amen? And Jesus is not a God. He is the God. <clears throat> so I was looking at, let's look at Colossians 2.14. And it says, <clears throat> this is talking of Jesus having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now, a lot of people read that, and when they say, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, they, people think that's the law the law that was against us. But it does not mean the law. It means every accusation, the sin, the wrongdoing has been taken away because Jesus paid the price and because he paid the price, his precious blood wiped out as if it never existed. You know, in the, in the Old Testament in, or in Bible times, they used to have an inscription above um, people when they were crucified or put to death just as Jesus did, and we see that in, in John 19, 19. They had the inscription, Jesus Nazareth, King of the Jews. And um, Mark 15, 26 refers this to the inscription of his accusation. That was the only accusation they had about him. So on our inscription of accusation, it would have had liar, murderer, unfaithful, unjust, you know, unholy. It would have had all these things written above whatever it was that we were guilty of, and we were guilty of many things. But, you know, when Jesus hung on the cross, it said that every one of those railing accusations is now wiped out. And when I say wiped out, it is obliterated, never to be brought up again. Amen? Jesus completely annihilated everything, every handwriting against you. So now there is no longer an inscription above your head that says that. There is only the inscription that says that you belong to God and he loves you and you're his children. Amen. The Bible says the wages of sin are death. You know, we had a death sentence against us. But praise God, he was able to take that death sentence away. He stood in the gap. He took our place. How joyful would it be if someone came along and just paid out your house mortgage for you? Would you be over the moon? Would you be celebrating? I would be. So how much more should we celebrate that Jesus Christ stepped in and paid the price for our sin because the penalty of sin was death. So we were condemned to die. So there you have it. Blood washed, blood bought, people redeemed, sanctified, justified, just as if you've never sinned, all because Jesus paid the price for you. We'll turn to 1 Peter 23. I'm just trying to get through to you who you are. You're just, just, you might sit there looking like a frog on a log, but you're not. 
You're so much more. We are so much more. And we've got to remember that we are so much more. So 1 Peter 1.23. And it says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. It's not going to decay. It's not going to fade away. It's not going to lose its power. You were born again of the incorruptible seed. Cannot be corrupted, cannot be tampered with. The incorruptible seed of the word of God now lives and abides in you forever, it says. Jesus said, this world may pass away, but my words will not pass away. They will live forever. That's why the power of the testimony is so powerful. Because those words that are spoken are always there in the spiritual atmosphere waiting for someone to take a hold and apply it to their lives. The words in this book are going round and round in the atmosphere. All we have to do is believe and receive and take it by faith. It's ours. It's ours. Amen. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 reads... Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You know, the enemy knows that his time is short. He knows that he's nearly at the end of his rope. And so he's about, his duty is to get about and trying to deceive and undermine as many people as he can because his time is short. John 10.10 says, But the thief comes not but to rob, to kill and destroy. But Jesus said, But I have come that I might give you life and life more abundant. Amen? And that's what he's given us. So when the enemy comes against you, you can stand up and say, No, I'm a child of the Most High God, born again of the incorruptible seed, which lives and abides forever, and that's whom I serve, and that's who says I have the victory in. Amen. Amen. So that's why we have to be steadfast. We have to be vigilant, it says. On duty, these words are active. We have to participate when we know that the enemy is coming against us and you know when the enemy is coming against us. When you have people say things to you and think, that's not, why would they say that to me? It's not like them to say something like that. It's an attack of the enemy. The enemy is using these people as tools to get to you. So you have to be wise and vigilant, be like a watchman on the tower, see it for what it is, and then all you have to do is use the word of God against it to bring it down. It's not that hard, but we get lazy. Most of us are like the rest of us. And mostly we wait till we're in a one heck of a dilemma and then we have to start getting a few people on board to help us get out of this situation. But you know, the name of Jesus is above every name. Every name. So I don't care what, what you mention is coming against you, the name of Jesus is above that name. Amen? And Galatians... I won't read all Galatians, but we know the, the armour of God. It, it asks us to put on the whole armour, the whole armour. You know, if you left your helmet off, then you are subject to being wounded in the head and killed and knocked out. If you leave your breastplate off, then you're left open to be wounded in the heart and possibly killed. 
any part of that armour of God that you read in Galatians chapter 6, and you can go and read that for yourselves, that's your homework, but every part of that armour is there for a purpose. And if any one piece of that armour is missing, then you're leaving yourself vulnerable and open to an attack of the enemy. And he'll take it. He'll take any chance he gets. And you will know it in your own, and they use the people that are closest to you. He will use those around you that are, you think would not betray you. They're the people that he uses. So we've got to be on guard and vigilant. In Genesis 4, 7, we read that sin lies at the door. That sin lies at the door. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you, you should rule over it because God has equipped you to rule over anything the enemy brings against you. God has equipped you. We've got to start realising the power and the authority that we do have and we've got to start using it. It's no use just reading about it. We've got to start putting it to practice. So this morning there are a few areas that um, the enemy always attacks in. He attacked Eve in most of these areas in the Garden of Eden and he attacks us. One of the areas is by what we see the things that we're looking at through our eyes. Number two, what we say through our words. We are vulnerable to the attack of the enemy through the words of our mouth. What we hear with our ears makes us vulnerable if we're not on guard and vigilant to protect those areas. What we touch with our hands and where we walk with our feet and what we do and where we go, who we associate with, are other areas that the enemy will surely attack. And I don't say he might attack, he will attack. Because the, we just read in Genesis 4 that it says that sin lies at the door. What's it lying at the door for? It's lying at the door waiting for you to have that door open. And sometimes the very thing that opens that door is not sin in itself but it will lead to sin and that's when the enemy just slips through that door and before you know it, you're in over your head. So we've got to be on guard. What we see, the things we see have a profound effect and a, a power behind them that people do not really understand. When you look at something and you see something, that image gets burned into your mind. It gets imprinted onto your mind, you know. If you've lost a loved one, I bet you if you shut your eyes, you can see that person, even if they died many, many years ago. That imprint is on your mind. You know, that's why pictures are so powerful, because God created our imaginations to be a faculty of the spirit. He gave us the ability to see things by faith, to take a hold and lay a hold of things by faith through our vision, Mentally, seeing, by faith, seeing Abraham saw the promised land. He never even obtained the promised land. But he saw it as vividly as if it was standing in front of him. He saw it as if he was living there. And that's what kept his vision going. That's what kept him heading on for God. Because God 
gives us visions so that we can stay steadfast and on track in his plans and purposes. And that's why this is one area that is very vulnerable, people are vulnerable for, because they watch movies that they shouldn't be watching, even so-called magazines that are just, you know, light-hearted reading. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And there isn't anything wrong with that. But you've got to beware. Movies, even things you're watching on your phone, books that you're reading, TV programs, anything like that, it opens you up. If you're watching the wrong thing, if you're reading the wrong thing, and you can say, oh, well, it's just, it's just harmless. Yeah, it might be harmless in itself. But as I said, sin lies at the door. So once you start dabbling in that sort of stuff, the door is then opened. And that is where the enemy gains access. Amen? Amen. So in Genesis 1, uh, 12, 1 to 3, and we all know this where God spoke to Abraham. And God called Abraham and he said, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, how many of us have had a great prophetic word spoken over our life? And you sit there and you think, how on earth is that going to come to pass? And I'm sure Abraham was no different to us. And when God said that to him, I think his head would have just like turned in circles. And he would have started thinking and he would have thought, well, yeah, well, maybe hundreds or thousands of descendants. Yes, yeah, maybe. That would be a good vision. That would be a great thing for me to be able to do. Maybe I can aim for that. And then when God said that all the nations of the earth would be blessed, well, how much of the earth did Noah know existed? Because surely he only knew the parts of the earth where he had travelled. Did he know about how big the earth actually is? I don't know. Did he? But he probably thought, oh, gee, that's a big area that I've travelled like, and I'm going to fill all that with people. You know, but God in his graciousness, you know, he went on in, in Genesis 15 and 16. And this is the power of, of our vision. This is the power of um, what we see in 15 it says, Then he brought him, meaning Abram, <clears throat> outside and said, Look now toward the heaven and count the stars if you are able. In other words, good luck. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. See, really... Abram had no idea how big this vision of God was that God had for him. But God, in his mercy and grace, took him outside and he showed him. And he said, look at all those stars. That's how many descendants you're going to have. Not tens or hundreds or thousands. If you can count them, that's how many descendants are going to belong to you. And, you know, God gives us a big vision sometimes. But don't underestimate the power of God, when you put your hand in his hand for him to bring it up to pass, amen? (coughs) 
You know, and God continued that vision that he gave Abraham with Jacob and he said to Jacob that the descendants would be as numerous as the sands on the sea. He gave him a picture to keep the vision going, to keep what he promised going. And, you know, that's all those men needed, that one vision from God, that one picture from God, and they were able to hold steadfast the rudder on the purpose that God had for their lives. Jacob was another man, and you can read about him in um, Genesis 30, chapter 25 to 43, but I'm not going to go there, I'll just paraphrase it. But the time came when it was time for Jacob to leave his father-in-law Laban and to go and make his own way and have his own country and his own sheep and flocks and families. But he needed provision to do that. Now God told Jacob that he was to go to leave Laban. And um, <clears throat> he was to have a place of his own. The, and lo- the Lord also had a plan for him to accomplish that word. And Jacob heeded his instructions. But one of the things that Jacob did now, the deal that he made with Laban was that all the speckled and spotted sheep and goats I will take as payment for my wages. And it was agreed upon. So obviously, if any of you are cattle farmers or whatever, um, most times you like to have a straight line of something. So some people like grey, so they want a straight line of grey cattle. Other like, like the red, so they just have a line of red cattle and anything that's anything but red, they will get rid of. And the people who like the grey line, anything that's not grey, they don't want it in their herd because they don't want that colour coming into their herd. And, you know, that was an old time thing because... Um, a cattle buyer would come out then and look over your herd and there was nothing better than to see a whole herd of greys that were the same size, the same weight, ready for market. So um, Jacob, in his wisdom, which was given to him by God, decided he would take all the speckled and spotted ones, all the odd bods, all the ones that no one loved. Laban wouldn't have wanted them in his, in his flock. But then Jacob went and he applied this principle of what you see, what you behold is what you become. In that saying, what you behold is what you become. I also heard another saying where there's a picture of an eye and in in the Hebrew it was a picture of an eye and then there was a hook. And the meaning of those two symbols was whatever a man's eye hooks to, he will have. And I thought that was a very powerful meaning that Whatever you set your sight on, good or bad, you will achieve that. And so he went and took the the spotted lambs and goats and whatever else and, and then he went and got the poplar gum tree and he stripped the bark so that there were spots and stripes on those branches and he set the branches before the animals at the drinking trough and every time the animals came to the drinking trough, What did they see? Striped and spotted sticks. And then what did they produce when they had progeny? Spotted and striped progeny. And I hear someone laughing over there, but God's got a sense of humour, like nothing is impossible unto God. You know, um, Habakkuk said, write the vision, make it plain. Set it before those who will read it and run with it. Well, the, the goats and the sheep were the ones that needed to see what the vision was. So he set the, the sticks before the goats and the sheep and not too many years down the track, 
Jacob had so many spotted and speckled sheep and goats that it wasn't funny that everyone thought he was stealing Laban's herd because he was wealthier than Laban, his father-in-law. But he applied the principle that God says that, that what you behold is what you become. That's why we behold Jesus Christ, so we can become more like him, so we can be changed from glory to glory in his image. So I say to you this morning, guard your eye gate. Put a guard over the gateway of your eyes. Good or bad, whatever your eye hooks to, you will have. You will reel it in. Some way, somehow, you'll reel it in. The second one is the mouth gate I'm going to talk on. Proverbs 18, 21 says, Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat its fruit. Simple but powerful, isn't it? They that love it will eat its fruit. And we underestimate the power of our words and the effect that they can have on ourselves and on other people. And I'm sure every one of us here today have had words spoken over your life that have come straight from the pits of hell. And if there's anyone sitting here who can think of something like that, I suggest you go home and you pray it off right now and you break the hold of those words because they are so powerful they can hold people bound for a lifetime if they do not recognise. It might be something when you were a little child that you think is so insignificant, something a teacher might have said to you, whatever. Even your parents, you know, in, in their own way can say things. Like they can, might say, oh... You're a son only a mother's... You've got a son of a face... Of the, the face of a son that only a mother could love. Like, she says it in jest. But the words are so powerful that it can speak over that person's life. And that's, what, that's how they see themselves for the rest of their life. But we have the power to break it off. We have the power to change it and replace those things with the word of God. And I read you that whole list that there's just a few of the things. You go into the Bible and you find where it, there is a word that is contrary to what has been spoken over your life and you break it off and you pray the word of God over your own life and set yourself free. We need to be doing this ourselves. We can't come to our past every time we run into a brick wall. We can't go to our friends all the time. Yes, it's good to have people that stand beside you. But we as individuals have that power and authority right here in our mouths. And what we have to do is get out the sword of the spirit. That's why it's called the sword of the spirit. So we can cut these things down and destroy them, kill them and get rid of them. And God's word is that thing. The whole universe was spoken into existence. God said and it was so. And we were created in the image and the likeness of God. And we have the same ability, we can say, and it can be so, good or bad, good or bad. And that's why it's so important to watch your words, even in jest, even when you're having a joke, messing around with each other. Be careful of the words you speak. In 1 Kings 19.23, we read the story back before that in chapter 18 about Elijah and the great victories he's won on on Mount Carmel and how he, he proved that our God and his God was a God and one and only God and he, how fire came down and burnt up the offering and all the water and, and all the false prophets were killed 
He had them all put to death. And, and Elijah was reigning on the top of his mountain. And in the next chapter, in the, first, in the second verse we read, Then Jezebel, which was the, the queen of the time, sent a messenger to Elijah saying, and these are only words, she didn't even confront him, she just sent the words with somebody else and said, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, she said that he would be dead by this time tomorrow, just like all the other prophets that he'd put to death. And those words, the door was opened, amen, sin was lying at the door, Elijah allowed that door to be opened and allowed those words to come in and affect his soul. And I believe this is what happens to a lot of people who don't want to live life anymore, who've given up, that they allow the enemy to come in and rob them of who they are, of the destiny that God has put on their lives. And it came in and Elijah wanted to take his own life. I mean, if that can affect Elijah, this great prophet, how much more can it affect us as individuals? You know, and yet one word from God, because what a do- God pulled him out of this, because again, God used words. And later in the chapter it says, and God said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then further on the, in the chapter, he knew he had to really get Elijah up and out of this, this mess that he was in because he was convinced that he would, should no longer be here. And the Lord said to him, go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. And he gave him three instructions to go and anoint the new kings because otherwise Elijah would have folded up like a pack of cards and thrown in the towel. And that's what we do. We fold up like a pack of cards when the key is in our hand, when the power is in our mouth, and we don't use it. What about Gideon? The least of his household. And God called him a mighty man of valour. He was probably trembling behind that counter he was sitting behind and thinking, I think you got the wrong person here. But this is what God thinks of us. He thinks that we are mighty men and women of valour. And he has a, a call on you. You know, there's no use sweeping away the spider's web if you don't kill the spider. You can get rid of the cobwebs, but if you don't get the spider, the web will be back there tomorrow and the next day and the next day. A snake, and these words are like the venom of a snake. When a snake bites you and injects venom, the venom is in your system. You can kill the snake, but the venom's already in your system. It's still working. We've got to get to the source of the problem. You know, you might have children that are going unruly at home and you're blaming the kids, but maybe it's your marriage isn't going so well. And what the kids are doing is a reflection of what's happening in your own life. You need to find the source of the problem to address it. You might be having financial difficulties, but I asked you this morning, are you tithing how God asked us to tithe? You've got to get to the source of the problem. Yeah, you can get a a better paying job, but are you going to tithe properly on that as well? It's relevant to your wage. 
It's relevant to what you earn. But unless you get to the source of the problem, it's not going to change the problem. The problem's going to still be there. So what's the answer? God's word. God's word. Jeremiah 29, uh, 23 verse 29. Are you enjoying this this morning? Yeah. Hope you're getting something out of it. All right, verse, chapter 23, verse 29. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces? Can you picture a hammer? That's pretty easy. Can you picture it? This hammer can drive home a nail. It's a positive result. This hammer can break down obstacles. It can overcome negatives. Speak God's word faithfully and all kinds of positive things will begin to happen. And all kinds of obstacles and oppositions will be brought down and broken because that's what a hammer does. A fire burns it up till there's nothing left, disintegrates it, ignites it, leaves no trace of it. This is what God's word says. Three times Jesus spoke to Satan and he said, it is written. Every time he was tempted by the devil, Jesus said, it is written. And he quoted his father's words. It is written. It is written. God's word has great power when they are spoken in faith through your lips. And the best thing is, you can't say, I don't know what to say. All you have to do is go in here and quote God's word. You don't have to make something up. You don't have to try and think of how to put some words together, string them together. You know, the shortest prayer is, Jesus, help me. (laughs) Call on the name of Jesus if you have no other words to say. There is power in the word of God. In John chapter 11, Jesus said to Lazarus, come forth. He just said, come forth. There was no big prayer. There was no half-hour prayer going on. Come forth. Simple, simple prayers. But with faith, knowing that Father God will deliver. Faithful prayers. We, re- we pray for revival. We're asking for revival. We don't have to struggle with it. we just got to ask and you shall receive, it says. Ask and you shall receive. It's coming. It's coming. And you're all going to be part of it. So speak out God's word to your Lazarus, whatever's happening, whatever's dead in your life, whatever's gone wrong in your life. Call it forth. Come out. If it's negative, get out. Command it to go in the name of Jesus. Cancer, leave, because it's illegal in your body. By the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. Command that thing to come out of your body. You're illegal to be in my body. Finances come into line because God said, he shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Keep his word and you will never see death. had another scripture here that I want to read in, um, just got to find where I scribbled it down, but 
You know, we underestimate the power of God's word and we, we totally underestimate God's word. I just want to go to um, 1 Corinthians 2.9. I just have got to find it here. 1 Corinthians 2.9. And it says, um, I think it's first Corinthians. Anyway, I can't find it. I think that's the wrong. Yes, is that the one? Yeah, that's the one. That's because I'm in the wrong one. That's why. Yeah, Jeff's got it for me. Yeah, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Amen. So. It doesn't, you can rack your brain trying to work out how God's going to do something in your life. But you know, you don't have the answer. Because I has not seen. We can, only, we can only comprehend what we've seen and heard and done and witnessed. But God is so much bigger. And he said, you have not seen what I've seen for you. You have not heard yet what I have for you. Because you cannot comprehend... 